if you will, turn in your Bibles to the sixth chapter of the book of Romans as we continue our study through the Word. So Paul, in writing this letter, is discussing how does a person enter into God's presence? How does one receive eternal life and spend eternity with God? It is the most important and most significant question that every single person needs to answer. And, and so he begins by talking about the righteousness that is necessary to enter into heaven. And he says that there is is none righteous nobody can be righteous enough to enter into heaven and so the Gentiles aren't uh, they're not righteous the the Jews themselves they're not righteous and and finally in the third chapter he shows that all have sinned and fall short uh, of the glory uh, of God and so the righteousness that is necessary to enter into heaven isn't a righteousness that you or I can achieve it's not a righteousness that we can work for or to attain to but there is a righteousness that is given to us by God. And that is the righteousness that is necessary to enter into heaven. He begins by going back and showing that Abraham, the father of righteousness, uh, the father of the faithful, we see that he also received the righteousness that was necessary. And this, nice, this necessary righteousness is a righteousness that is received by faith it is given to us this righteousness when we trust God when we believe God and when we put our faith in God and so in that fourth chapter we I saw how he showed that Abraham had the faith that now it was accounted to him for righteousness and, and David had this righteousness that was through faith and this is now the righteousness that we receive and we receive that righteousness when we put our faith, when we trust that Jesus is the Messiah and so this now is the new covenant that has been established and the righteousness necessary is a righteousness that's given to us it's grace and given to us as we believe God and we put our faith in Jesus Christ now in the fifth chapter the last chapter that we looked at Paul laid out what are the benefits now of this new relationship that we have with God when we engage God not trying to approach him in our works or in our own self-righteousness but now when we're connected to God by faith, trusting that he is who he says that he is and believing that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, what happens? He says the first thing that happens is we now have peace with God. We can experience this peace where our sin had us in a place of enmity and of separation. We now have unity with God. We now have peace with God. We now have access to God through Christ and Jesus. We have hope now, knowing that our eternal Eternity is secured in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, not in what we have done in our life. We have the confidence uh, of knowing this. We experience now the love of God, and we see that Paul ended that chapter by talking about 
the first Adam and the last Adam and how sin entered in through the world through Adam but now the last Adam Christ we see that he's the one that took away the sins uh, of the world as we move to this sixth chapter now so a person has accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior they have put their faith in Christ they have received this righteousness they now have peace with God and their eternity is secured then the next question is how shall we live now how do we live in this new relationship with God knowing that we are going to go to heaven knowing that we have access uh, to the Father and through Christ how do we live out uh, our life uh, here now as believers and so that's the issue of sanctification so you, you have justification which is being declared righteous before God that's what Paul has been talking about that we're declared righteous before God not because of what we've done but because of the righteousness that we've received from Christ so we're in a righteous standing before God but now how do we live our life out and that being changed from who we were to who God would have us to be that process that's the process of sanctification now the Jews they lived underneath the law that's how they lived out their faith in the old covenant now in the new covenant how do we live out our our faith are we still underneath the law what are the what are what how does this all work and so Paul is going to take the next three chapters chapters 6 7 and 8 and he's going to be talking now no longer about our righteous standing before God but now how does this work itself out practically in our lives how are we to live as believers in relationship to God through faith so let's see as Paul now tackles this subject here during the next three chapters he says in verse 1 what shall we say then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound now you'll remember that Paul said that when we put our faith in Christ that we see that God's grace covers our sin so regardless of how much sin a person has God's grace covers over that and so where sin abounds grace abounds even more so Paul asks the question now following up on that from the last chapter he says what then does it not matter should we just continue then in sin that grace may uh, abound if if God is going to be credited with the righteousness of uh, of the grace abounding over our sin is there any responsibility that we have now to stop sinning if God's grace is just going to cover over uh, all of our sin and so we see that Paul answers in verse 2 certainly not how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it and so he says absolutely not perish the uh, the thought he says how can we who died to sin live any longer in it we see here that and Paul is talking now uh, about someone who is living in a lifestyle of sin. In other words, if they're in a sinful lifestyle and their answer is, well, God's grace is going to cover over uh, my sin, then I really don't even need to leave my lifestyle. And Paul says, no, absolutely not. We see that in no way is the abundance of God's grace designed to encourage uh, or permit in sin. We see that Paul here 
here is explaining now that a person who has died to sin, we are not to live any longer in it. When we were born again, we believed on Jesus for our salvation and our relationship with sin permanently changed. We've died now to sin. He says in verse 3, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. And so, Paul now talking about being baptized, that when we got saved, we were placed into the body of Christ. We now have been identified with Christ. And Christ, he paid for the sin there upon the cross and he went into the grave. Paul now talks about when you were baptized and when you went into the waters. When you go underneath the water, you are identifying with the burial of Christ, with the atonement for sin that Christ took there on the cross and he was crucified and then he was put into the grave. When you're baptized, you go down into the water and then what happened? The grave didn't hold Christ. Christ now came out in newness of life. And so as the believer, when we were identified with Christ, our sins now paid for by Christ, we we are baptized, we go into the water signifying the death of Christ, but then when we rise out of the water, we also now are signifying the newness of life. Now, I want you to notice something that's really important. When Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, notice that he wasn't resuscitated, he was resurrected. Big difference. He wasn't brought back to the life that he had. He was raised up now in a new newness of life. He was raised up in resurrection power. You'll remember that prior to Christ here being resurrected, that Jesus was within the constraints of the physical realm. But after his resurrection, Jesus now was able to pass right through doors. You'll remember he could appear and he could disappear. These are all parts of that new life that he has. He wasn't brought back to his old life. He now was given resurrection power in this new body uh, that he had. Do you remember when Mary tries to cling to him there uh, in the garden? And you remember that he could eat physical food, but also he could just pass right through doors as well. When we were raised up, when you became a believer, the new life that was given to you is a resurrection power life that you now have. And this new power, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, is that resurrection power. So, Paul is saying that you have come out of the grave like Christ with a new life. And so your new life shouldn't look anything like your old life. Here we see that Paul continues uh, uh, now that we should walk in this newness now uh, of uh, life. 4 verse 5, if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, 
certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. So Paul is now talking that we have been united together with Christ. Now that word for united is really interesting. It is the word that's used when you graft in a branch into a tree. Now it's interesting the way that you graft in. You take a, a branch and you make a slice and you place it in the tree and you bind it up. And then that branch actually begins to grow into the tree itself, the tree now giving it its sustenance, giving it the sap and the life now as that branch has been grafted in, it's been united, that branch has been united uh, with the tree. Well, in the same way, we have now been placed in Christ. We've been joined together. We've been united. And now the spiritual vitality in the life of Christ flows into our lives. So we have been united together with him in the likeness of his death when our sins were placed upon him and he was crucified for us. So also we are going to join him now in the likeness of the resurrection into this new life. He says, and now what happens? The result of that is, is that our old self was crucified. Now, what is the old self refer to. The old self refers to our spiritual relationship with God. That's who the old self was. And our old self was separated from God by our sin. And so that old relationship that we had with God, where we are enmity with God, that now has been crucified. That now has been put away. That the body of sin might be done away with. He says, for he who has died now has been freed from sin. So we're no longer slaves of sin. We're no longer underneath the bondage of sin that we had been. We've been set free from that. And so we are free from sin. Our slavery to sin, where we have been enslaved to sin, that was broken by death. He says in verse 8, now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. And death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also Reckon yourselves uh, to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, he, he dies uh, no, long, no longer. Having experienced the physical death and having been removed from its realm by the resurrection, Jesus rose up from the authority that death had over him. You remember that for three days he was held by death, and then he walks out of the realm of death. Death could not hold him and had no authority whatsoever over him. You'll remember that Jesus said that I have the power to lay my life down, and I have the power to pick it right back up again. So the authority that death had over 
over him. Now he breaks that as he just walks out of death, walks out of that tomb and picks his life right back up again. So death no longer has dominion over him whatsoever. It says for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. So we see again that the new life that we are granted isn't a life that we now live to ourselves or unto ourselves, but with this new life we're to live for God. So he says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Now reckon is that accounting term. He says, uh, account yourself, uh, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, that you are no longer underneath the authority or underneath the bondage, just as death uh, held Christ for three days and then he stepped out from that authority. So sin held us in bondage and, and now in resurrection power, we walk out of that bondage. Sin no longer has dominion uh, over my life uh, because of the power uh, of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It says, reckon ourselves to be dead to sin, but it says, but to be alive to God now in Christ Jesus. We see that our relationship with God uh, is now established in the newness of that relationship because what happened? We had been separated from God by our sin, but our sin has now been removed. So we're now alive to God. We're connected to God. We're in fellowship and communion with God. This is the newness of life that Paul here uh, is talking about. And so verse 12, therefore, he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. So remember the question that he's answering here. Should I just sin that grace should abound uh, even more in my life? He says that in the past you sinned because you couldn't help it. He says, now you've got the freedom to step out from underneath the bondage of sin that held you down. So he says in that freedom that you now have, we're free not to be able to sin. Sin, but we're free from sin to be able to now serve God, to love God, and to be in fellowship and communion with God. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So do not present your, your members. Don't offer your members. What are your, your members? The parts of your body, your, your ears. Use your ears now to hear worship and to listen to psalms and, and your eyes and your hands and, and your mouths. Now we are to present our members as instruments of righteousness whereas before we use these to engage sin now we want to engage in God with uh, with our bodies and with our members present ourselves uh, to God and so we are to now become instruments of righteousness and our bodies are not to be used for sin or unrighteousness, but for the promoting now of righteousness. 
He says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And so, underneath the old covenant, you remember that, that there was the law. And the law prescribed uh, the things that they should do and not do, and, and they weren't to work on the Sabbath, and all of the various different requirements of the law. When we engage God by faith through Christ, we're not underneath of the law anymore. That's the old covenant. That was the covenant that God had with his people. And now God's people are to engage him through Christ, through faith, and we're not underneath the law any longer, but we are now underneath grace. We are underneath what? The grace uh, that abounded to cover our sin. So now, with a righteous standing before God, we're in a personal relationship with God, the issue of sin already having been dealt with. And so we're not underneath the law, but we are underneath the grace, the grace that abounded to cover our sin. What then? Verse 15. Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? And he says, certainly not. Now that we're not underneath law, the question is this. Then is there just lawlessness? <laughs> if there is no law any longer, then can we just live any way we want since we're not underneath the old covenant any longer? And he says, we're not underneath the old covenant, but we are underneath the new covenant. <laughs> and being in this new covenant, it's not about rules and regulations, but it's about the grace that covered over uh, our sin. So because grace covers the sin, we're not under the law. Uh, are we going to just go ahead and be free to sin? And he says again, certainly not, absolutely not. Verse 16, he says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves uh, slaves to obey, you are that one's uh, slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death uh, or of obedience uh, leading to righteousness? And so, here he talks about the fact uh, uh, that when we present, uh, when we obey, whoever we are obeying, we are that person's slave. Now, you remember that Jesus said that you cannot obey two masters. You cannot. You will hate the one or love the other. Now, remember what happened with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are in the garden and God tells them that you can eat from any tree that's in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're not to eat uh, from that tree. In the day that you eat that dying, you shall surely die. The dying process will begin in you the minute that you, you eat from that tree. And so God gives them that disclosure, tells them, gives them the freedom to be able to partake of every tree except for that tree. Now, you remember that in Adam and Eve now, and that Eve begins to talk to the serpent, and the serpent tells her, hey, God's lying to you. You're not going to die. Do you know what's going to happen when you eat from that tree? You're going to become like God. And God doesn't like competition. And so that's why he's holding out the best fruit in the entire garden. You get to eat from everything except the best fruit. 
And so now we see that uh, what happens with Adam and Eve, they disobey God. So uh, number one, they had been obedient to God and they had been servants of God. They were fellowshipping with God and they were in this obedient relationship. And now what did they do? They disobeyed God and so they sinned. And that sin broke their fellowship. But it didn't just break their fellowship. There was another transaction that happened. They obeyed Satan. They did what Satan told them that they should do. They should eat from that tree because then they're going to be just like God. So they disobeyed God. They stopped being the servants of righteousness. And now whoever you do obey, you are now servants of them. They became servants of unrighteousness. Now, when we are born again, we are now born into a righteous relationship with God and we are back to being servants of righteousness uh, again the power and the authority of sin in our lives uh, has been broken and we are free now to be able to serve God and to be servants uh, of uh, righteousness and so he says but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered he says that when you put your faith in Christ you were in a state of sin you were slaves to sin in other words God didn't say to you stop sinning and then if you stop sinning you can accept Jesus and then you can become saved it was while we were yet sinners that we were able to put our faith in Christ and we were delivered now from the bondage of sin the heart that from the heart that form of doctrine that is that putting our faith in Christ to which you were delivered he says and verse 18 having been set free from sin you become slaves of righteousness you become servants now uh, of uh, righteousness and so we're not to give in to sin why because we are now dead to it and we are no longer servants of uh, sin and we see that it is the totally contrary to God's plan for servants of righteousness to be enslaved to sin once again he says in verse 19 I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. And so here we see that he's talking about that we are servants of righteousness, but he describes a principle that is ingrained in human nature and that is that lawlessness leads to more lawlessness the bible tells us that a little leaven leavens what the whole lump that that lawlessness when you start to make compromise it begins the slippery slope and then you start compromising more and more and more and more so lawlessness leads to more lawlessness but he says that righteousness also leads to more righteousness in our life to the holiness Think about a row of trees and, and one tree was planted a year ago and the next tree was planted uh, five years ago and the next tree 10 years ago and the next tree 25 years ago. Which is going to be the hardest tree to uproot? 
And of course, it's the 25-year-old tree that has been putting its roots down deeper and deeper and deeper. He says, you were on the path of lawlessness that was leading you to more lawlessness in your life. And now trying to uproot that becomes harder and harder and harder as your sin nature becomes more and more ingrained. He says, but that same principle now also works in righteousness as you put your roots down into righteousness and as you continue to seek after and grow in the things of the Lord that your righteousness uh, is going to deepen towards a holiness and so uh, this principle of where lawlessness led to more lawlessness righteousness in your life is going to lead to more righteousness uh, in your life in verse 20 for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. He says, when you were slaves of sin, when you were servants of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, in your life, righteousness, your account was zero. When, when you were at enmity with God, your account balance of righteousness was zero. And he says, in those things that you were practicing you're now ashamed of those and things when you look at what your life used to be and the way that you used to conduct it yourself he says what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed so fruit before God fruit of righteousness there wasn't any he says for the end of those things now is death but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves or servants of God, you have your fruit to holiness in the end is everlasting life. And so now being on the right path with God and in this relationship where now we're no longer servants of unrighteousness, but we're servants of God. And as we're serving God, guess what? There's fruit in our life that begins to grow. We start to see those changes. And what is the, the end path of that? Well, we know that the, the end of sin is death in separation from God but we know that the end of the path of righteousness is eternal life and spending eternity with God and so the end everlasting life he sums it up now in this final verse of the chapter he says for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord we see that the word there for wages originally meant a, a soldier's pay. Uh, and so uh, when we were soldiers for unrighteousness, what was going to be the pay? What was it that we now were deserving uh, of? And we see that it says that, that the wage of sin now is death. And that death that he's talking about isn't physical death. It is eternal death. It is the eternal separation from God but he says the gift of God that gift of righteous standing of having our sins forgiven us is eternal life in Christ Jesus and so we see that now eternal life is contrasted with the eternal death that in separation that we were on the path of eternal separation but now we are on that path of eternal life. 
as we close our study here, as Paul is talking about whether or not this new relationship gives us permission to, to sin or not, and he's clearly answered it, that we don't have permission to sin underneath the grace that God has given to us. He says that we've been called now to a newness of life. And it was, it was that term newness of life. We find it in verse 4 where it says, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. It was this newness of life. It is amazing the, the new life that we now have. The Bible tells us that the new life that we have is so radical that we're a new creation. That once again, it is not about a resuscitation, but it is about resurrection power. It's about a transformation that takes place when the indwelling of the Holy Spirit now comes inside of us and our spirit is made to be alive again. When Adam and Eve were created, God said, let us make them in our image and let's make them in our likeness. Now, God is a triune being. He is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And so there is the Trinity of God. When God made you, and when God made me, he made us in a trinity also. We are body, soul, and spirit. And so Adam was made into a trinity. Eve was made into a trinity. And, and they were in unity and it was good. And everything was good. And they were now in the garden and, and it was absolutely glorious. The spirit of Adam and fellowship with the Spirit of God. God is in spirit. And those who seek Him must seek Him in, in spirit. And, and so they are connected together. They walk together in the cool uh, of the evening. And, and the spirit of Adam was leading his soul. His soul, your soul is your personality. It is the, the free will that God gave to you. And, and it is your memory. It is the you that is looking out through the eyes, that's your, that's your soul. And then you have your physical body. His spirit was alive. It was in fellowship and communion with God. And they would walk together in the cool of the evening. And then Adam sinned. And when he sinned, his spirit died. It caused death to his spirit. Now the spirit is the connection to God. The spirit is the part of us that is in fellowship and in communion with God. And so when that spirit died, uh, now when Adam and Eve had children, uh, they now birthed children whose spirit was also dead. They couldn't pass on what they didn't uh, have. And so every single one of us, when we were born, we were born body, soul, and spirit, but our spirit was in a dead and conditioned. And so there was no fellowship and no communion. We were sinners by nature. It is interesting 
that uh, Adam and Eve, you'll remember that after they sinned, they hid themselves. Uh, and, and that from that moment on, God made clothing for them so that they could now be clothed. Uh, there are those that believe, and it's just interesting, don't quote me on this, but there are those that, that believe that Adam and Eve's spirit was actually on the outside of their body, that it was like a, a light that covered over them. And, and when their spirit died, they suddenly now were uh, aware that uh, that they weren't covered any longer in that in that light of the spirit that they had and and this was the reason that they sought to cover themselves but in any event, what they did pass on to us was they passed on to us a dead spirit that now didn't have the capacity to have that fellowship and communion. And so what we had is we had our carnal bodies, uh, our carnality uh, ruling over uh, our souls and our spirit was dead. When you accept Christ and you're born again, your spirit is made to life. It is resurrected and back to life again. Again. And now you are able to fellowship with God. And what happens as a believer is now our spirit is to be on top. And our spirit is to lead us. The, the issue and the challenge is the, the soul has to determine whether or not it's going to listen to the leading of the spirit in our life or whether or not it's going to continue after its carnal pleasures and its carnal desires. And so uh, we see now this inversion that takes in place uh, in our lives. As we now use our free will, no longer uh, are we to obey the, the lusts uh, of the flesh. No longer are we in bondage to it. But now we see that Christ says that we're to crucify the flesh. How often? Daily, every single day, we're to crucify that flesh. Why? So then we're free to be led by the Spirit in our life, and our Spirit leads us and guides us. It's called walking in the Spirit. And it says that when you walk in the Spirit, you're not going to fulfill the lusts uh, of the flesh. We are a new creation. We're a new man now. And so uh, as we continue to, to strengthen our spiritual connection to God, continuing to crucify the passions uh, uh, of our flesh, the, the base nature uh, of our flesh, so that our flesh doesn't have control over us. See, when God created us in our flesh, uh, we have all of these different uh, survival uh, mechanisms that are placed uh, into us. Your, your body uh, regulates the amount of oxygen that you have. There is a, a breathing mechanism that is built inside of you and it knows when your oxygen is down to increase your, your breathing and it regulates that entire thing and God placed uh, that uh, into you. It's a, a breathing drive that God placed into you. Now we're 90 97% water and your body regulates how much water you have uh, in you and and when your water starts to decrease in percentage in your body it triggers the thirst mechanism that is in you and your thirst tells you that, that you need to put more water uh, into your body and so we see that there's a thirst drive that God created you with your body needs uh, energy and so your body regulates uh, 
when you are losing energy and tells you that you're hungry, your hunger drive is the drive that God put in you to make sure that you are keeping enough fuel in it. And, and so we see that God has put all of these preservation systems into us in order for us to continue to populate the earth. We will need to have children. And so he gives us a, a sex drive to be able to reproduce. And so God has created within our bodies all of these drives. But God never intended these drives to control us, that we would now come into submission to these drives, to a, a sex drive that controls you now, or to eating, and, and your eating controls you and puts you into these bondages. These drives were meant to preserve you, but you were always created to be led by the Spirit and to be in connection with Him and those preservation mechanisms the body were to be servant to you and not to become Lord over you. When our sin, when our sin nature now reigns in our lives, we see that is the condition of fallen man. You were born, I was born, our spirit was dead. And so our flesh was uncontested now. And our soul just simply battled over the authority of our flesh in our lives. But now, he says, you're a new creation. And now you are able to be delivered from serving your body to where your body was having mastery over you, this, this body of sin, this body of death that we now dwell in. And so you're a new creation and your spirit is to lead you and you are to crucify your flesh on a daily basis so that you are free to be able to walk in the spirit. When you walk in the spirit, you're, you're going to produce the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. These are now the things that are going to manifest more and more in your life. How does that happen? That's that process of sanctification. The process of sanctification is presenting, it says present yourself as members of, uh, of righteousness. Present yourself to God. And when you present yourself to God, God is the one that now changes you. You've entered into this new relationship, bam, the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. It has made your spirit now to be alive and we're to walk after the spirit. But but how does that work? How does that practically work in my life? Well, I'm going to tell you that I believe that it's about reading the Word of God. Reading the Word of God. The man needs to have energy in order to be able to accomplish anything. And, and we need to feed our physical body. We also need to feed uh, our spiritual life. And the nutrition is the, the bread of life. The Word of God is what we need to put in into uh, our lives. Not only do we need to put into it to, to ingest the calories necessary to live out our spiritual life, but also it is the place of communion and fellowship with God. Paul is going to be talking for these next three chapters about sanctification, about the process of taking you from the carnal man that you were when you accepted Christ, and, and now God is doing an inner work on you and changing you into the image and likeness of Christ. That process uh, is called sanctification. Now, that process happens, listen, when you spend time in the presence of God. 
You see, God is the one that's changing you, but you have to give God time. You have to present yourself uh, for time for God to be able to, to make those changes. We are his workmanship. He's like a, a potter and we're the clay. And he sits down and he begins to work with us. But what happens if that clay can jump up off of the wheel and take off any time that, uh, that it wants? That, uh, that it comes back onto the wheel and says, yeah, five minutes, okay? Okay, go, God. And then up, you know, I'm back off the wheel again. And then you don't present yourself for a few days. And then, you know, a couple days later, you show back up and, and off and on. Now, he's trying to form and fashion you into this beautiful workmanship. But we keep jumping off of the wheel and back onto the wheel. You're going to be changed by the amount of time that you let the master change you. And that time is time in the word of God. I want to encourage you to read the word of God every single day, every single day to read the, the word of God. The word of God, listen, will absolutely change you. I came across this study and I wanted to read it to you. It was from the Center for Bible Engagement and they did a survey of what happens to a person. Listen, if you only read your Bible four days a week, now four days a week, that's barely over half. That, that's three days you're not even reading. Just four days uh, a week, and this is what happened to a person that reads their Bible at least four times a week. Feelings of loneliness, ready, drop 30%. 30% drops just from reading your Bible. Anger issues drop 32% in a person's life just by reading the Word of God only four days out of the, the week. Bitterness in relationships drop 40% when we are just reading the word of God, just four days uh, out of the week. Alcoholism, are you ready, drops 57%. The bondage of uh, addiction drops 57% when a person is uh, in the word of God. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. We see that viewing pornography drops 61%. Just by uh, reading the word of God, uh, pornography is going to absolutely drop. Sharing your faith jumps over 200%. As you're reading the word of God, you're excited to share the things that God is showing you in the word of God. And it just uh, happens all uh, by itself, just a natural process of, uh, of just reading the word of God. And discipling other people jumps by 230% when you're just not reading four days a week. What happens when you read seven days a week? What happens when every day you go and collect your spiritual manna and you partake of the spiritual manna that God has given to us? And so I want to encourage us to spend time uh, on the potter's wheel, to allow God. God is the one that's going to change you, but you have to meet with God. And you have to open up your heart and allow him that opportunity to be able to change you. We want to crucify our flesh and then we want to put ourselves on the wheel, the potter's wheel of God's workmanship that we might be changed and that we might have fruit in our lives and enjoy the blessings that God has for us here in this life.
Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. And God, we ask that you would just excite us, get us excited, Lord, to meet with you every single day in your word. Help us to continue to grow in the, the grace and the knowledge of you. For we were once darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. May we walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. God, have your way in our lives for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.